Welcome to the Caring Greatly podcast, a podcast for leaders who seek to transform healthcare with humanity. Dr. Robin Geiger is Senior Vice President of Clinician Advocacy at Ingenivis Health, a healthcare staffing organization, where she leads programming focused on clinician support and well-being. Dr. Geiger is a board-certified nurse executive with more than 20 years of clinical and leadership experience. Her professional focus is on health equity and clinician advocacy, aiming to increase resilience for healthcare professionals, improve quality care, and create solid support systems for all clinicians across Ingenivis Health. She previously served as Associate Dean of Academic Affairs for the National University School of Health Professions, where she focused on strategic planning, clinical program development, and academic operations. Dr. Geiger is the chair of the Chief Nurse Advisory Board for Ingenivis Health, a board member of the National Diversity Council, and is on the American College of Education Nurse Advisory Board. In this episode of Caring Greatly, Dr. Geiger talks about the need to support nurses holistically through an approach that Ingenivis calls ACT, which stands for Advocacy, Career, and Tools. Based on interdisciplinary research, Dr. Geiger and her team built the approach as a means of combating burnout and building resilience at both the structural and individual levels. By advocating for what nurses and other clinicians need at the policy level, supporting their career advancement, and providing tools and resources that teach individual well-being, Dr. Geiger hopes to bolster the nursing field and keep more nurses working in roles that offer professional fulfillment and personal well-being. Dr. Robin Geiger is a leader who cares greatly. Welcome, Dr. Geiger. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Liz. I'm very excited to talk uh, and dig into this topic of nurse staffing because healthcare leaders across the country are struggling to fill nurse vacancies. And we hear so many reasons why that might be true. It's, it could be talent shortages. It could be working conditions that many nurses experience as intolerable. Uh, there's also financial pressures both on institutions, many of which are experiencing operating losses and can't just you know, hire or raise salaries um, given those conditions, and, fi and financial pressures on nurses as well, many of whom are opting for better paying travel positions so they can pay off student loans and things like that. How would you characterize nurse staffing challenges right now? Right. That's a good question, Liz. I think people enter the nursing profession to have that flexibility and have that career outlook. So, you know, there's nurses and nursing administration and insurance and biomedical cells. I wouldn't say that having that variability um, or different specialties contribute to the nursing shortage, but I do think that you've touched on quite a few key points that we can address, including over and understaffing, um, especially understaffing within some health systems may cause nurses to leave uh, the health system and the profession in general. Um, also, talent shortages, you know, finding those specialized nurses in, you know, pediatrics, neonatal, you're a, ne you're a neonatal, I'm sure you know that, um, labor and delivery, um, and then those critical access sites or areas, rural health areas, they may find it difficult to fill those different positions, especially with, you know, um, the younger generation of nurses that come in and they'd like to be in a more metropolitan area or even the working conditions. You know, some nurses who, you know, left the bedside in the pandemic to staff um, maybe altruistically and they wanted to give back or to help, they've re-entered the bedside and they find that they're understaffed or they have heavier patient loads or longer hours. 
Um, and then you, you mentioned travel nurses. You know, many may attribute shortages due to nurses leaving for travel positions. But I believe, I mean, I know that travel nursing and contingent workers, they, we've been here for a long time. So I don't think that that's different. I just think that needs of nurses have changed. Their ability to to be flexible, their ability to, you know, take care of their families, even the mental ability to take on the bedside, um, maybe safe working conditions, um, toxicity, and then definitely burnout. And I know you've probably heard me speak on burnout, or if you haven't, I definitely try to contribute where we can to creating resilience for nurses. But, you know, nurses feel marginalized a lot or that they don't have a voice um, you know, with career opportunities, flexibility and leadership. I think uh, there's a lot of things historically that may contribute or that people may assume are contributing to staffing shortages. You're pointing to so many different factors, which is which is definitely the case, which means there's not a one size fits all solution to this. And it's interesting when you read about this, there are people that say we don't have a nursing shortage. We have a shortage of environments that attract nurses, right? Because those nurses who've left the profession, they're still out there. They're still qualified. They're just unwilling to work in these environments where they don't feel supported, where they feel like there's toxicity, where they feel like um, the workload is is insurmountable. Um, and, and so I want to shift now to, to looking towards solutions, right? If given it's a complex problem, the solution needs to be multifaceted. And you, you advocate for a three-part strategy to address nurses' needs, those parts being advocacy, career, and tools. So can you walk us through each of these and why they're important? Sure, absolutely. So Ingenifus Health was able to capture the most pressing concerns at the conception of the ACT program, which really focuses on those three pillars that you mentioned. Um, so we researched and worked with leading researchers like McKenzie to really dig for the source of disruptions within the healthcare staffing continuum. We wanted to know what's leading to nurses leaving, leaving the profession. And our goal was to support clinicians and retain them to keep them within the, the profession. So starting with advocacy, we wanted to extend our voice to improve working conditions and strengthen support for frontline workers. And we do that whether it's literally going on the Hill in DC to discuss discuss safe working conditions um, for frontline healthcare workers, or even creating an interdisciplinary chief nurse advisory uh, board where we're collaborating with chief nurse executives, chief, chief nurse officers, um, hospital presidents, nurse executives from university systems. We wanted to find out what's happening in the field, what's happening in the industry where we can actually advocate for these nurses and you know keep them in the profession and even creating the advisory board to have more nurses on boards was a part of our advocacy and our reach um also combining under our eight uh, our, our corporate umbrella we have eight company brands right so meeting with each of these brands together we meet as a family every month to find out what are the challenges that the nurses are um, experiencing or clinicians, all of them, physicians and allied experiencing on the front lines of care and what can we do about it together? So I think there's this interdisciplinary approach internally and externally that really leads to our advocacy. And I'm really proud that we were able to stand that up. 
And then also, and they, I'm just curious, yeah. have you uncovered anything surprising in those conversations? Because as you said, like often conversations about what needs to happen in nursing has happened just among nurses. So I think this interdisciplinary approach is really important. What are you hearing? You know, not really. Uh, what's surprising, I should say, is that, you know, burnout is not just happening among nurses, it's mm. physicians, it's allied, it's healthcare executives. They're all experiencing it. And they're all trying to find innovative ways to deal with it and create those solutions. So actually pulling in that chief nurse advisory board, there's MDs on our, our board. I mean, we wanted to hear that that 360 global solution. What are you experiencing? What are you hearing? What are you suggesting? And then how can we, you know, disseminate that or share that through thought leadership with with other other healthcare leaders and nurses in the industry? So I'm really proud to stand that up, but then to take it internally as a family and create that sense of community, like we may have a different company brands under our corporate structure umbrella, but we all feel like a part of one family and we're all working together, staying clinician centric. And that's, that was huge for me. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So is that the end of advocacy or, or yeah. is there more? Okay. Let's, let's look at career then. What do you, what does that mean under the ACT program. Right. And so when you say, is there, is that the end of advocacy? I, I don't think ever, because like I said, I mean, <laughs> no, I didn't mean, is it over? I meant like, have you, have you elucidated all of the pieces of it? Absolutely. Probably not. Thank um, you. We, we do, we do quite a bit. Um, yeah. Probably not. And we're continuing, it's a continuous loop, right? We're, we're trying to continuously inform what we're doing and work on that and, and, and branch out and, and advocate as much as we can. But, you know, moving to our second pillar career, it was really huge um, to make sure that we could provide that career opportunity. Because when we did survey nurses, um, they reported wanting that career growth and opportunity and that they didn't feel that they always had that, whether it was at the mm -hmm. bedside or in the travel industry, you know, and, and that was surprising. No matter how we spoke to nurses or, or the information we got back from them, when they spoke about their historical perspective at the bedside or in travel, their experiences were the same. They they still felt, you know, burnt out or they felt like they had, they needed that mental health support. They needed to be reminded to take a breather um, about self-care. So it was really impactful to create that program to actually reinforce that and remind them. But when we looked at career, um, we partnered with a college, a leading college to make sure that we had flexible career options for them, discounted tuition. Um, they could attain a micro-credential or certification. Not everyone wants to go back for a degree. Um, and that, you know, in the first calendar year, we were able to set up and, you know, deliver $100,000 in nursing scholarships. And that was huge because a, a lot of times it wasn't just that they didn't have the opportunity, but maybe they couldn't afford the opportunity. Um, maybe they didn't see the opportunity in front of them because they didn't have the means to get there. So it was really nice to stand that up. Um, and, you know, having the insight from those interdisciplinary conversations made those things possible and contributed to those things. We also had executive leaders who were really passionate about retaining nurses or giving back and not just having them um, clinicians as, as, as a whole, physicians and allied as well, not just having them be a number, but mm -hmm. having them feel like they were a part of a community 
Um, and so creating that home for healthcare talent was really important to the executive leaders in our company. I think one of the things that I've seen shift post pandemic is, um, and it's, it's almost distressing to even discuss some of the conversations I had before the pandemic where, where honestly nurses were viewed often as a number where it, the, the, the perception was that they were easily replaced. Um, not a lot of, uh, consideration had to be put into retention, or even you'd see see things that were well-meaning, like magnet requiring bachelor's prepared nurses, and then you take a 30-year career associate's pre prepared nurse who's got all that wealth of experience, and she's being nudged out of an organization in order to meet the magnet requirements, which are, again, well-meaning. I understand the wanting to have right. people with that advanced preparation, but there's, there's a lot, you know, there's nothing you can do in an education setting that makes up for 30 years of experience. Right. So, right. um, that idea of tailoring it to people's needs, so it doesn't always have to be a, a degree, um, having options that are both leadership and bedside, right. One of the other things I've noticed is so many times the, the advancement opportunity for nurses is into a leadership position, at least within a hospital setting which may or may not be the right strength fit, right? Like I want a nurse who's passionate and and phenomenal at bedside care to still feel like he can advance in that bedside environment and get recognition and, and salary and title increases that are commensurate to his commitment. Um, but we don't often see that. So I love that what you've described is not a, here's the one track, but a flexibility around the approach. Right. And you touched on something really important too, just because they have the opportunity or they, they're moved into like a nurse manager position or a different leadership position doesn't mean that they don't need that support, that, mm -hmm. you know, self-care and that growth and that mentorship. Right. And I, I have a feeling it's more than just a feeling. We've been able to see some of the metrics and numbers behind this with some of the other like health management groups that we're in, but to see that they still need that training or they feel like they're they're ill-prepared to actually right. be the leader that they need to be. Right. So just because you hand someone a title doesn't mean that they don't feel that they need support or that you shouldn't give it to them. So that, that was really important that you touched on that. Well, and I think what, what goes with that as well is ill-prepared leaders then lead teams poorly, not because they don't intend well, but because they don't have the skills and training. And then that leads to more burnout among their team members, right? So it becomes this self-perpetuating um, process. I also, I remember a, a stat from a study, um, I'm blanking on the woman's name. Anyway, it's a researcher out of Australia that says, right. if you want to, to gauge the burnout of a team, look at the sleep deficit of its leader, right? So the self-care element right. of of leadership are important as well. So I appreciate that you're touching on those. It's very important. Um, and, you know, honest, leading into actually segueing into tools, which is that third pillar of the ACT program. Um, so we wanted to find a way to provide that continued support, um, improve work-life blend is what I call it. You know, as a nurse, we never separate from work. We bring it home right. with us, we deal with it. So if we're going to do that, how can we support them into making sure that um, they're functioning when they're at work and that they've been able to segment some of those external stressors, which can also contribute to burnout. So, you know, creating um, uh, a webinar series, act webinars for healthcare professionals, something monthly that provides like mindfulness and 
self-care support. And you mentioned sleep, sleep deprivation. We actually had a webinar on the importance of sleep. Um, and then, you know, creating the first of its kind travel nurse toolkit, which provided them with everything they needed, whether it's licensure support from all, all, all of our states to, you know, just suggestions on travel and, and sightseeing and tools and tips for that. And, you know, it, it was really important to try to make sure that we provide them with mobile apps or websites or whatever tools they needed to make sure that we're putting these resources back in front of them. I remember being in ICU at the bedside and, you know, inevitably, of course, suffering a lot of different loss from, from patients because, you know, you're taking care of them. Some of them will do well and some of them will not, right? But just needing to go back to the bedside every single day, regardless of whether there's patient loss or not, and to just smile and be supportive, sometimes it, it dulls. It makes you forget that you're human and that you also need to deal with your own self-care and that you may need to deal with 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 loss in different ways. Mm -hmm. So yeah. just reminding them that, you know, they have these tools there, whether it's EAP programs or national hotlines or tools, um, it was really important and they felt that they needed those reminders. So it was really important to make sure that we provided them those resources. I think that's important, especially when you think about travel nurses. And it's it's interesting, you know, when you talk about staffing, a lot of people will demonize travel space, right? So, um, but it's, but there's always, there's travel nursing existed before. There's always going to be going to be a need for this flexibility. Um, but I imagine as a travel nurse, one of the things that's challenging is that you're not deeply embedded in that community for a length of time and therefore may not have those support structures within the institution that you're traveling to. And so having it available to you from some broader support structure, I would imagine is is critical because whether you're traveling temporarily, permanently, whatever, um, that's still a nurse we want to keep in the profession. Absolutely. So creating that sense of community with the ACT program was huge. And like you mentioned, there'll always be a need for travel and contingent workforce. You know, whether we consider the ultimate goal is safe, quality patient care. So we, we want to make sure our staffing is appropriate regardless of the healthcare setting. But, you know, I would like to look at travel nurses uh, or travel nursing or even travel um, for physician allied as a specialty area because mm -hmm. not every not everyone can pick up and travel um, and perform those same duties that you would at the bedside with looking at, you know, um, different sites and adjusting to different health systems, different EHRs and different teams. It really is um, a specialized need to be able to adjust, accommodate. You need flexibility. You need to be more resilient. And so providing that uh, ability for them to feel like they're a part of a community and have that support is huge in making sure that they are providing that safe patient care. That makes a lot of sense. I love that idea as a specialty because it does it does take special skills. Absolutely. So if you look at if you look at nursing leadership, whether that's in a hospital, in an institution like yours, what do leaders need to do, nursing leaders need to do to support nurses across their career? And then what kinds of support do nurse leaders need from their leadership peers, whether that's uh, clinical operations otherwise? What do what how do you see that? Right. I know it sounds, you know, very basic, but listening, 
you know, what I found is, and, you know, we have a podcast and we call it clinician voice. Um, but it's actually listening to clinicians and trying to make sure that they have what they need. So, you know, even if you are a, a nurse leader in a, a major health system, they still need those individual touch points. So planning that in strategically so that they have that attention and you can receive that insight to what's going on because nurses know what they need. Um, I'm not sure if we, we always get a chance to voice that or if we feel that we're often heard, but I think that that platform is huge, whether it's survey tools, um, town halls, whatever method um, your health system can actually utilize, depending on the size, of course, and structure, but creating the ability to listen and then inform your system and actually create that positive change or innovations based on what you're hearing is huge. Um, I want to nuance that just yeah. a little bit because I think yes. some of the reason why people don't listen is they're they're afraid of what they're going to hear. And I and I say that specifically, and I and I think there's a, a challenge on both sides. And we talked wow. about this a little bit in our pre-call, but um, you know, if I if I go out and say, nurses, what do you need? What I will also often hear is more staff, more, 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 right? Which I may, as an operational leader, may not have the budget to be able to do right now. There's a whole bunch of other decisions, right? As a leader, I need to hear that and think about my broader budgeting decisions. But I think, I think part of what needs to happen for that listening to really work is, um, is a, letting go of that fear as a leader, because people are going to come, but also as a frontline right. person thinking, it's more important to be really clear about the problem than to be wedded to a solution, right? True. Because if you are overworked, overwhelmed, what have you, the solution may not be more staff in all cases, right? And so there is a, there is a, I think what makes listening challenging is that it's not simply a take, take what you're hearing and give them exactly what they say. It right. would be lovely if you could, right? I don't know any leader who doesn't want to be able to do that. Absolutely. But given that it's more complex than that, it's often frightening to ask a question to which you feel like you're going to get an answer you can't succeed at delivering on. Is that fair? That That is fair. That is fair. That's a fair statement. And what I would add to that is you still need to listen, right? Because yes. you want to hear, <laughs> you, yeah. you, you want to hear um, good and bad regardless of what, what they're giving you, you want to be able to hear that and adjust to any of those. And it, it's just like parenting. I, I'm going to be honest. I have three boys, right? So, but it's like parenting. They can tell me all day what they, what they, what they want. I need to look and actually feel that it's strategically in their best interest. And, you know, doing that together is important. So listening yeah. to the nurse, clinician, physician, allied, and then actually being transparent about how you're listening and what you're doing with that feedback is important. So maybe they're asking for more staff, maybe in that one unit or particular unit, they don't need more staff and you can be transparent and showing them why or showing right. them how that came to be if you calculated that they need actual more staffing. Why is right. that? I think creating that transparency and not assuming that they won't understand, you know, staffing uh, methodology is really important because they will and, and they may wind up being better supporters of your internal structure and, strate and strategy if they understand it and if they know what's happening. So I still think listening and then that second piece is transparency, being able to be very transparent in why you're doing things and providing that rationale, even if that 
includes, you know, uh, providing metrics or, you know, a formula and, and actually sharing why this year we've decided that we are moving away from potluck, whatever you decide. Right. I think just creating that transparent is huge and they'll feel more a part of the community if they feel that they're talk, uh, that they're, they're, they're not being talked to, but they're having a discussion with yeah. you. I think that's important. Um, and then, you know, mentorship is also huge. Um, even if it's reciprocal mentorship or peer to peer networks, but, you know, having someone to talk to, if you don't have the bandwidth to, to provide that individual one-to-one um, on a continuous routine basis, maybe you have that once a year um, meeting heart to heart that you're having, but having those peer networks and, you know, mentorship programs, I think those are really key and important. And there can be some really great solutions that come, that comes out of the feedback from a mentorship program or, you know, a peer to peer group. So I, I've always, and said, I love right. friendship Conley who uh, founded the modern elder Academy and worked at Airbnb as, yeah. as a significantly older worker within a group of very young workers describes it also as mentorship. I so like it's, e- you know, often the, the more senior folks look at mentorship as an obligation, although one that is fulfilling, but there's so much you can learn from the younger nurses with their different um, different responsibility and, and experience with technology or different perception of the industry or different uh, just understanding of what their peers uh, are looking for and their generation needs. So uh, mentorship, I think, can go in both directions. Absolutely. And, you know, I, um, I've i spoken on mentorship a, a couple of times, um, often actually. And the big takeaway for most people is I know you don't. You feel like you don't have enough time to do it, but it's setting aside just small increments of time. You'd be surprised how much information you learn while mentoring or when you're a mentor. Yes. You know, and sometimes those lines gray on when you're actually the mentor or when you're being mentored to. And so, I, I really think that it could be a win-win for the mentor and the mentee, or in a, a buddy-buddy system, a reciprocal yes. mentorship program, right? And then you okay. asked about support. Um, of leaders. Yes. I, I'm not sure if I got back to that. It's I, I'm enjoying talking to you and I know I get <laughs> sidetracked, but um, I, I really think clinicians need that understanding and empathy, you know? Um, and I remember, I don't remember having that, to be honest. I, mm. I, I remember having someone being able to fill in for me at the bedside or um, being able to go in and say, hey, this patient needs something. But having someone listen to me when I really needed it, maybe a minute um, or two or, or two seconds, I had to step away to really gather my thoughts and make sure that I'm all there for my for my work, for my patient. Didn't always have that. So trying to find those different ways to provide that empathy um, or touch points for those nurses, especially in critical care areas or ER. I mean, all frontline workers need it, but making sure yeah. that we stay in touch and tuned, right? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the, the the more interdisciplinary connections we make, the more we're going to find solutions that don't pit um, different team members against one another, but actually solve for their the collective problems and the collective goal, which is always exceptional patient care in a way that honors the professionalism of the people who are delivering that care. Absolutely. Safe patient care is our ultimate goal, regardless of whatever health system or site we're in. 
Well, Dr. Geiger, this has been extremely helpful. I love the idea of advocacy career and tools, and I love that Ingenivus is leading that for uh, the new specialty, as I'm going to start calling it, of, of travelers <laughs> who need uh, that unique support. Thank you for sharing your insights today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you today. Thanks. So I much, did as Liz. well. If you enjoyed this episode of the Caring Greatly podcast, please subscribe and rate us on Apple, Google, or Spotify. For links related to Dr. Geiger's episode, please visit ceocoalition.com slash podcasts. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Vocera, part of Stryker. This is Liz Bohm, executive strategist at Stryker and host of the Caring Greatly podcast. Thank you for caring greatly. Thank you.